Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ancham at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Vayetze. I have a dream. Now what? So do you remember your dreams? Yes, although um, not as often as I'd like. I, you know, I woke up this morning really feeling like, oh, I had an exciting dream last night. It was really interesting, but I have no idea what it was. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big uh, dream person. In other words, I don't. I rarely ever remember my dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes me a less interesting person, but probably. <laughs> they say that you can train yourself that if you um if you work at it if you write down as soon as you wake up you, you know what you remember you'll get stronger like you can build up those muscles and you can some people think you can actually control your dreams if you do that often enough uh, that you can basically begin to um to author your own dreams curate your uh your sleep huh yeah which to me you know seems to take some of the, the crazy fun out of it because it's it's when you do remember your dreams it's often really interesting to see what kind of associations your mind is making you know our portion this week Vayetze, um features maybe the most famous dream in the bible i mean there are lots of them i mean joseph's dream and the way that he interprets them and pharaoh's dreams the dreams play a role certainly in the book of genesis but Jacob's dream really speaks to us, I think, in remarkable ways. Jacob had to escape from the wrath of his brother Esau after stealing the birthright and uh, the birth blessing in this plot with his mother. And when Rebekah hears that Esau wants to do away with Jacob after their father Isaac dies, she encourages him to leave. And so he finds himself in the wilderness, alone, running, uh, wandering. And so in some ways, Jacob is emblematic of the Jewish people at large. Jacob is the quintessential Jew. And he goes to sleep this night. He has nothing except a rock for a pillow. So he's really bereft and has this wondrous dream where God comes to him uh, renews the promise that was made to uh, his grandfather, Abraham. And in this dream, there's a ladder with angels ascending and descending. And Jacob wakes up from this dream, this wondrous vision, and he says, behold, God was in this place and I didn't know it. It is the most... Uh, succinct expression of wonder found in the book of Genesis. It's really a remarkable story, and it says so much. I think that one of the things that I really want to focus on with you is the power of a dream to motivate us and move us forward. Interesting. And, you know, it strikes me that when I was saying earlier that some people think you can control your own dreams— we are clearly using our dreams, or at least using the idea of a dream as a metaphor for our aspirations, uh, for our vision, for what the world might be. So, uh, you know, I think dreams are, are fairly unpredictable and generally out of our control, but we like to use it as a metaphor. You know, the American dream is what you can all aspire to if you work hard enough. You know, Dr. King's dream is that we would live in a land where we're not judged by the color of our skin where there's equal justice for all. So these are dreams that become not just um, 
you know, random associations. And in the case of Jacob too, it's a dream of hope. It's a dream of, of a better future, right? And we're, we're using the dream metaphor as something to suggest we could have a more perfect universe. Well, it's interesting because there is a difference between a fantasy and a dream. Yes. And the fantasy is, you know, that the Bears will win the Super Bowl. That's I wake up and I have a full head of hair. I have that dream a lot, actually. I really do. Even now, after all these years, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, wait a second. That's not so bad. There's a fair bit of hair up there. <laughs> That's fantasy. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that there's as much chance of uh, you waking up with a full head of hair as uh, as the Bears winning the Super Bowl. But right. any, I, I don't. I'm sorry if I'm uh, <laughs> dashing that particular dream of yours. Come on. But, I, think I, I think I have a better chance, actually. I, I, that's the sad part. <laughs> it's true. But it's funny. You mentioned the I have a dream speech. And I think almost all of us can quote whole sections of that. But... The part that we hear sounds more fantasy than reality, doesn't it? That's the clip that we continue to hear over and over in commercials and all kinds of places that's totally aspirational. So is there more to the speech? I mean, what should we know about that speech that we don't know? Yeah, that's the media's fault. Um, uh, you can't trust the media. And, and in part, it's because King gave such a beautiful the part of the speech where he talks about his dream is so moving and so emotional that we only remember that part. And if you only listen to that part, you're right. It does a little sound a little bit like a fantasy. I have a dream that one day my children uh, will not be judged by the con by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that you know freedom will ring from the stony mountains of blah blah blah. Right? That sounds like fantasy. But if you listen to the first half of the speech, which we seldom hear or see on television. Uh, that's the part he wrote out, the dream part he was improvising. The part he wrote out is actually talking about the work you have to do before you can get to the dream. He's talking about the fact that we will not be done with racism in America until we atone for the sin, until we go back and look at the root causes and and come to terms with the fact that black people were bought, brought here in chains and forced for 300 years to work as, as slaves and to be considered property and that even then in 1963 black people did not have the right to vote in many places and did not have access to equal justice uh, he talks about police brutality in that speech he talks about the fact that until we remake our our system of policing into something more just black people will never have an equal chance so all of this he talks about the fact that um you know a, a promise was made to black americans and that promise um, like a check came back with insufficient funds. Mm -hmm. And until all of these things are done, America will never achieve the dream. So there is context there where he's saying that first we have to do this work and we have to account for our, our failures and own the, own up to them. And then, then we can talk about the dream. Right. There's even hints of reparations in that speech. Absolutely. I, 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 I want to tie this back to the Bible and to, to the Parsha because the symbol of Jacob's dream is a ladder. It's not a magic carpet, right? It's, or an escalator for that matter, right? Where you just get on and it goes up by itself, right? You A ladder is a vehicle to rise or to descend, but you have to use the rungs of the ladder. You have to pull yourself up. 
And so part of Jacob's dream is one of agency. He has the power. Whether or not this dream is going to get fulfilled isn't up to God. God is the one who's saying, I'm with you. I'm supporting you. I'm here. But you can't forget about the symbol of the dream, the ladder, because Jacob, who is at a very low ebb uh, in his own life, right, who I'm sure was despairing in his own way, finds himself standing before this ladder. And God says, you want to you want to rise up? Here's the ladder. And it sounds like that's exactly what King was doing. You want to rise up? You want this, I have a dream part to be fulfilled? And well, it can be fulfilled, but you have to use your agency to do that, not only within the black community, but to society at large. Yeah, and that second part that you mentioned is important because King was often raising that issue. People would say, well, why can't you people, you black people, do better? Why can't you um, get more education and get better job? People say, why don't you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? That's the popular American phrase. And King would say, it is a cruel joke to tell people who have no boots to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. So he would tie that in by saying, yes, we all have to take agency. We all have to climb our own ladders. We have to pull up our own boots. But first, you know, we need to have boots. First, we need to have ladders. And part of that comes from society acknowledging that for a long time, people were denied the opportunity to participate in the American dream. That's a very powerful idea that you got to have boots in order to have bootstraps. That is true. And so the larger society has responsibilities. And so the balance is really between the two. And Jacob himself, by the way, didn't really have bootstraps at that particular moment in time. He had very little. I'm not sure. Maybe sandal straps would be better. Right. But, <laughs> right. but the bottom line is, is that he had nothing. Right. So how did he build his ladder? Where did he get the materials for his ladder? He goes to his family, which is an interesting piece of the story. He falls in love with Rachel, and he's going to be repaid for his deceptions by being himself being deceived. So... You know, there's not a clear path. Life is hard and life is filled with ups and downs. I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit, at least make a reference to the war that's really being fought right now in Gaza. And think about the fact that at the end of the day, if the, if the only result of this war is the dismantling of Hamas then I would suggest that's a partial victory. Not an, it's not unimportant, but it's, and it's an important victory, and it's a necessary victory because they do represent, and this entire radical Islamic messianic kind of death cult is part of Iran theology that needs to be addressed, that is very true and that needs to be done. But if, then if there's no aspiration beyond that as to what that area of the world can and should look like, and if there's not an effort to impart a shared vision of what can be, where the responsibility isn't only placed on Israel's shoulders, but placed on Palestinian shoulders, then I think that then the victory is really not a full one. Yeah, it will be a temporal victory because we'll be fighting again. And, and I think, you know, um, this is a sensitive subject to talk about. But until all the people in, in that region, including the Palestinian people, have boots, they're not going to have bootstraps and there's not going to be much 
dream for them. So I think that um, we do need to think about what happens after the, the fighting ends. I think that's very true. And I was trying to be very precise in my language. Because if you listen to the rhetoric today, it would seem that all of the responsibility falls on Israel's shoulders. They are deemed as the oppressor and all of that. But there's a wider vision. There's a wider dream. If you read the early Zionist writers, including Herzl, uh, going all the way through, this is part of the foundation of the Zionist dream, which is to be a light to the nations, to create something and bring a better day for all people. In order for that to happen, then there has to be mutual acceptance of both a Palestinian place and a place for Israelis. And how what, what that ultimately looks like is a whole issue. But we can't go on denying each other's existence or turning each other away to find a, find a place for them. That's part of the dream, too. Um, how do two peoples exist on this land? That remains to be seen. But God willing, that dream will develop as we go forward and both peoples will use their agencies for the good and uh, we will see a better day and maybe the fulfillment of what those early Zionist dreamers uh, thought about. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.